Ready Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. I'm Don McDonald. Welcome to another short version of Talking Real Money. We call it Talking Real Money Quick. This week, once again, our long versions of the podcast, which we edit out of the live show that we do on Como Radio in Seattle, is not available this week due to the fact that we were preempted by a Washington Huskies football game as we as as, as want to happen during the football season if we have a day game. So Good news, though, the game this week will be a night game. The game next week will be a night game. So we'll have a couple of longer editions of Talking Real Money for you the next couple of weeks, along with Talking Real Money Quick. Remember, you can be a part of Talking Real Money Quick by giving us a call at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, and leaving your questions on the official Talking Real Money Quick voicemail electronic system, and they get sent to me, and then I put them into the podcast. So we'll get your questions answered one way or another, and we're going to share with you a lot of little snippets of financial information, investing information that I create during the course of the week. So you get a lot of stuff in a little bit of time here on Talking Real Money Quick, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, and without further ado, off to our first call. Hey, Don. Hey, Tom. Been missing the podcast this week, and very grateful for the good work you guys do, and thoroughly enjoy your show. I have a question. I hold FTIPX. It's a total international fund through Fidelity and in my Roth IRA. And I noticed in the holdings that for some reason that fund holds 3% cash, even though it's an index fund. And so I was wondering if you could dive into that and explain to me why that is, and if that's a good thing or a bad thing or an irrelevant thing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate all you do. A multiple choice question. We don't often get multiple choice questions. Uh, Let's see. I am, in this case, probably going to go with irrelevant. Having a cash position, even in an index fund, is not unusual from time to time. It happens when positions get liquidated and then they don't get immediately reinvested. They don't consciously hold a lot of cash. They do hold a little bit of cash, and that can vary from time to time depending on expected redemptions. But the typical amount is right around 1% or a little below that. And I just took a look at FTIPX, that Fidelity uh, International Fund, and it is currently, according to Morningstar, they're currently holding eight-tenths of a percent in cash, which is more in line with what I would typically expect. That 3% was probably an aberration. Yeah, if you see a fund, an index fund, holding 3 or 4% cash quarter after quarter after quarter, then it's probably a sign that they're playing a little game to make a little extra money. And it might, might be something to watch for. Matter of fact, with the new Fidelity zero funds. It may be that they're going to keep a high position of cash, and that's one of the ways they can earn some money with that spread. I don't know. I'm not saying that. I just know that, for example, Schwab has a uh, an investment program, an investment advisory program that's very inexpensive, and they keep a lot in cash because they can make a little bit of extra money on the cash spread. So don't think it's unusual. Don't think it's a reason for concern, and I would not worry much about it. Keep an eye on it, but I wouldn't worry much about it. 855-935-TALK is our number. 855-935-8255 on Talking Real Money Quick. 
Subscribe to free monthly email updates from the only magazine devoted to real investing, Real Investing Journal, at realinvestingjournal.com. If you own long-term interest-bearing securities like 20- or 30-year bonds, rising rates could cause big declines in the value of your investments. But those who own shorter-term securities through mutual funds should experience gentler declines and a gradual increase in income as bonds mature and the proceeds are reinvested in new, higher-interest bonds. As for the fear that rising rates will negatively impact stock prices, stocks don't trade in a vacuum. As expectations change, prices adjust in anticipation. One study found that since the S&P 500 was created in 1957, the index has only lost value in two of the 15 periods during which the Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates. In fact, even though the Fed raised short-term rates from 1% to 1.5% in 2017, the S&P 500 gained about 25% last year. Predicting the future is impossible, and acting on others' predictions has proven dangerous time and time again. Relax, diversify properly, and let the gamblers play with their money, not yours. Apparently, money does make us more happy. Yet another study entitled Long-Run Effects of Lottery Wealth on Psychological Well-Being backs that assertion. The authors surveyed thousands of people who had won the Swedish lottery and found that even 20 years after winning, lottery winners were far more satisfied with their lives than those who lost. They even discovered that the bigger the winnings, the happier people were. This backs up a string of other research that has found a correlation between wealth and happiness. What sets this research apart is the breadth and length of the work. Every Swedish lottery winner was included, providing a massive number of data points. Also, contrary to popular belief, most lottery winners didn't quickly burn through their riches either. Instead, they tended to invest it and spend it slowly. Most didn't even quit their jobs. The fact is, you do need money to enjoy a better life. And if you want that happiness to carry forward into retirement, you need to start saving and properly investing right now. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm, Vestry, at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. One of the big reasons so many financial product peddlers sell variable and indexed annuities is the high commission they receive on each sale. Yet if you ask them what their commission might be, you'll typically get an answer like this. Oh, you don't pay me anything. The company pays me. This costly dissimulation is technically true to a point. Yes, if you put $100,000 in the annuity, your statement will show $100,000 invested, but you don't really have $100,000 in the account. If you try and take anything out for the first 5, 10, or in a few egregious cases, even 20 years, you'll be charged a a surrender fee reducing your principal. A surrender fee is the insurance company's way to recover the commission paid to the agent when the annuity was sold. The longer the surrender period, the higher the commission. In fact, if you want a rough idea of how big the agent's incentive is to sell you that annuity, just look at the first year surrender fee in the disclosure documents. Typically, commissions run between 5 and 7%, but I have seen some indexed annuity products with 12% surrender fees, which means a potential $12,000 commission on your $100,000 investment.
Every now and again, I keep a prediction from the past on my computer. Most of them come from that crazy traders branch of the Wall Street Journal called Market Watch. Almost six months ago, one of their market reporters shared the opinion of one of the self-proclaimed market experts, Michael Oliver. Oliver proclaimed that stocks were, quote, the stupidest asset out there, unquote. What did he think was better? Commodities, specifically foods like corn and soybeans, stating that food prices are, quote, sound asleep and adding that their, quote, volatility is non-existent, unquote. So how have these supposedly undervalued and non-volatile investments done? Well, over the past six months through September 7th, corn has fallen about 12% and soybean prices have plunged more than 20%. And that's just for six months. To help put that in perspective, in only six years since 1926 has that stupid U.S. stock market lost more than 20% in a full year. Oh, and over the last six months, how did the stock market do? Well, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index Fund actually returned almost 9% over those six months. The moral is that no Nobody knows the future. Subscribe to free monthly email updates from the only magazine devoted to real investing, Real Investing Journal, at realinvestingjournal.com. Once again, this is a uh, short week for Talking Real Money podcast because our show was preempted by football. So this week, you're just getting one Talking Real Money quick podcast because I'm heading to Seattle to teach a class on Saturday. And then we'll also, I'll actually uh, be in studio in Seattle doing the show live. So uh, you'll have all the big podcasts next week. You can always call us, though, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 855-935-TALK and leave your question on our magical voicemail system, and we'll answer your questions on this podcast, Talking Real Money Quick. 855-935-TALK is the number, 855-935-8255. Next call, right now. Hey, Don. Greetings from Sacramento. This is Randy. So my question is, I just inherited an IRA from my dad, $60,000, and I'm trying to decide how to liquidate it. So one of the things I was thinking about was just transferring it over a number of years into my taxable Vanguard brokerage account. And if so, I don't know how many years I should do that, you know, maybe five years or maybe less. I don't know. Another thing I was thinking about was I have a thrift savings plan at work and I was thinking about upping my contributions out of my paycheck to either my thrift savings Roth or my traditional thrift savings and then liquidating the inherited IRA into my personal checking account so that I can live off of it. Because if I up my thrift savings contributions, I may not have enough to cover my bills. My wife and I have about 700,000 between us in our brokerage accounts and Roth IRAs and thrift savings. I max out my Roth account with Vanguard. My wife does not. I'm 52 years old probably won't need the money for seven plus years. And my risk tolerance is about a seven out of 10. So I hope you can help me because I'm not quite sure what to do, but I'm leaning towards taking more out of my paycheck and putting it into my thrift savings Roth. Lots of great information. You really laid that out well. Now I can 
dive right into it. Inherited IRAs are special. They're really kind of unique, non-spousal inherited IRAs. In your case, you have a very interesting option, and you may be set up nicely to take it. Here's one of the things I would consider. You uh, up your contributions to your thrift savings plan so that you have a bigger nest egg in retirement. And as you said, you may end up being a little short of living expenses. But rather than liquidate that entire IRA and pay taxes all in one fell swoop, the IRS allows something really interesting in your case, and that is you can take the required minimum distributions, but you can take them over your life expectancy. So you're 52. That means that the amount that you're forced to take out of that IRA can be very small, and therefore the taxes can be very small. And what you could do is take those RMDs, use them to offset the lost income that you're going to be putting into your TSP, and uh, it sounds like you could be very comfortable and be building your tax-free IRA or your tax-free retirement, not IRA, but retirement plan outside of this. So I would certainly look at that as an option. As a matter of fact, I think that may, in your case, given what you said, be the very best option of all. I, I don't think I'd liquidate that IRA. I think I'd take it very slowly over the next, I don't know, what is that, about 30-some-odd years? Thanks for the call. I really appreciate it. 855-935-TALK. Remember that number? Call us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and tune in again next week to whatever podcast service you listen to for the next edition of Talking Real Money Quick and two full podcasts from our radio show for the next couple of weeks. Oh, by the way, quick program note, the week after the show that we record on the 22nd, that will be Tom, not me. I've got some family issues. My stepdad's very ill, so I'm going to go up to New York City and spend some time with my mom, and I'm going to skip that show. So uh, it'll be Tom and me, and then Tom alone, and then, of course, me here for talking real money quick all the time. 855-935-TALK is that phone number, and please, oh, please, oh, please, we would really appreciate it if you would tell a friend or two about this podcast maybe tell five or six and also subscribe if you can on your service, which I think you can. And oh, 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 the thing that helps so much to get the word out is a nice review. If you could leave one, that would really be great. We truly appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Don McDonald talking real money quick. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. That's a wrap.